I want to take as my text this morning that reading from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text beginning on page 1149. Page 1149, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and beginning at verse 1, which I'd like you to notice again with me so that it's fresh in our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and beginning at verse 1. Apostle Paul, we know this is 2 Corinthians. It's actually 3 Corinthians because 1 Corinthians is an answer to a letter that we no longer have. <laughs> but he's writing to the believers in Corinth, a major city in Achaia, as it was known by the Romans, or we would think of it simply as Greece. But there's a church of Christian believers there that Paul founded, and he's writing to them. He says, I want you to know, brothers, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia, which was to the north of them. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, and that of their own accord. And then notice chapter 9 and beginning at verse 6, just across the page. And the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully or abundantly will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's made up in his own mind, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written in the scriptures, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so today we're beginning our annual stewardship series. And the theme of this year's series is giving that matters. Giving that matters. Now truth be told, it isn't at all difficult to give in a way that, that doesn't matter. Indeed, church people do that all the time. In fact, some ch church people don't give at all, if you want to know the truth. But assuming that most give something when the alms basin comes round, many, when they give, don't think much about it, either before they give or after they give. And truth be told, if they stopped giving altogether, it probably wouldn't matter to them much because it doesn't really matter to them when they do it anyway. But in this three-part stewardship series that we're starting today and will continue for two more Sundays, we'll be thinking together about what it means to give in a way that does matter. 
And this morning I want to talk about giving that matters because it's generous. Giving that matters because it's generous. And as we're doing so, I'd like us to consider two things as they appear in our text. Number one, what generous giving looks like. And secondly, how generous giving works. What generous giving looks like and how generous giving works. And so firstly then, what generous giving looks like. And for this we have the example of the believers in Macedonia. Notice again verses 1 and 3 of chapter 8. And we want you to know, brothers, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflown in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, just as I can testify, and beyond their means, and that of their own free will. You can take that that background down now. Thank you. And so Paul commends the believers in Macedonia as an example of what generosity looks like. And of course, the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in Corinth, and so he is, in this instance, in the first instance, commending the Macedonian believers to the believers in Corinth. But by extension, Paul is also commending them to us. Indeed, uh, Mark Ward, the editor of Bible Study magazine, once wrote, he said, the great majority of the Bibles is not written to me. The great majority of the Bible is not written to me, but it's written for me. And so we get to eavesdrop, and we get to see. Indeed, it speaks to the body, it spoke to the body of Christ then, and since we're members of the body of Christ, it speaks still today. And so Paul commends the believers in Macedonia as an example of what generosity looks like. Notice his commendation, chapter 8 and verse 1. We want you to know, brothers. Now, we, it's in the plural, the letters being sent by Paul, and he includes his companion and his co-worker, Timothy, whom you've heard of, I'm, I suppose. And he says, I, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God, that special thing that God has done and is doing and has given among the churches in Macedonia. That is, uh, the three churches that Paul uh, planted there, the church in Philippi, from which we get the letter to the Philippians, the church in Thessalonica, we have two letters to the Thessalonians, and then the church at Berea, which is just a little uh, southwest uh, of Thessal uh, Thessalonica. But the believers in Macedonia were generous. Indeed, notice that text again. And we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Notice that, that Paul describes the generosity of the Macedonians as a divine grace. In fact, why do people do this? It's because the grace of God is working in their lives. They, they, not only, they are not only called by God, they respond to the call. And so God is at work with them. In fact, somebody could be, have a history of being very, very stingy. 
But then God enters in and that person becomes very, very generous. Why? Because God is at work in that person's heart. And so this divine grace is at work in them. And so Paul says, verse 1, chapter 8, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. Verse 2, and in a, in a severe test of affliction. And in fact, we talked about this uh, two weeks ago. The, when our text was from 1 Thessalonians. The believers in Thessalonica, in fact, the believers in all of Macedonia were under constant pressure because of their faith in Jesus Christ, as people still today in various parts of the world who live in restricted countries where their Christianity is under attack. And so Paul says, for in a severe test of affliction, these Macedonian believers, and their abundance of joy, which again is a work of God, because nobody would, generally speaking, rejoice when they're being afflicted, and in their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And so the Macedonians were a persecuted church, and notwithstanding, they're full of joy. In fact, David Taylor, who used to be a member here, said in his great book, um, uh, uh, Open and Unafraid, uh, the, the Psalms as a guide for life, he said to be full of God is to be full of joy. <laughs> To be full of God is to be full of joy. And so they, notwithstanding the fact they were being persecuted, they were full of joy. And even though they were, as, as Paul describes, extremely poor, that is to say that they were in an economic s situation that actually threatened their basic needs. And still Paul says that they were generous givers. This, by the way, is a sociological fact that poor people percentage-wise, give more than rich people. Maybe you didn't know that. Now, they don't give the same amounts because they don't possess the same amounts. But in, 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 in the context of what they have, they tend to give greater percentages of what they have than the rich. And here's an example of it. <laughs> Out of their extreme poverty, they exercise great generosity. Indeed, Paul continues in verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, or as it's put in the New Living Translation, they gave what they could afford. And then verse 3, And they gave beyond their means, which the New Living Translation puts, puts it, they gave beyond what they could afford. You would have tried to stop them. And I've known the pastors who have, you know, where somebody's not, uh, at least uh, relatively speaking, not rich, and this person commits to, to the tithe. I'm going to, I've heard, I've heard the word of God, and now I'm going to commit to the tithe. And because they were challenged uh, financially, the pastor felt almost obligated to tell them not to do it, which I quite, can't quite understand. But I've heard about such story. I've heard such things. And uh, we, you perhaps might have been tempted to tell, tell the believers in Macedonia, don't, 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 don't. I mean, but they did. It uh, reminded me of something that Mother Teresa once said when she, while she was still with us. She said, if you give what you do not need, it isn't really giving. <laughs> so says the little nun from Calcutta. If you give what you don't really need, 
it's not really giving. Which also reminded me of something else that Francis Chan once wrote. He said, lukewarm Christians give money to charity and to the church just so long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. This is why there's no fault about it. You give it, I mean, I can do without that. Lukewarm Christians give money to charity and to the church just so long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it's easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, then he says tongue-in-cheek, after all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? (laughs) And such people would be much happier keeping their money than giving it. But Paul says that the Macedonian believers in verse 3 that they gave according to their means and beyond their means. And then Paul concludes in verse 3, saying, and they did it of their own accord. That is to say that the Macedonian believers gave generously, not because they felt pressurized by anyone. They did it voluntarily of their own free will. In fact, that's the way it always should be. God has given us a message of invitation, not a message of shaming or pressurizing. Because those things may work for a little while, but when somebody's, when you've shamed somebody into sitting down and they're still standing up inside, it's just a matter of time till they stand up again. And so we invite people into fellowship like this and to engage in these things that God calls us to. And so they gave because they wanted to. And so that's the first thing, what generous giving looks like. And then secondly and finally, notice with me how generosity works. How generosity works. Notice uh, chapter 9 and beginning at verse 6. And the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And this, of course, is a a version or a a variation on the theme of what a man sows or what a woman sows. That shall they also reap. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly, just a little, will also reap just a little. And whoever sows bountifully, generously, will also reap generously. But each one must... Give as he has made up in his own mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion or pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written in the scriptures, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. And he who supplies seed to the sower, which then becomes bread, will also supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way. For all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The first thing that we have here is the harvest principle, as it's sometimes called, which is true in the field as well as a metaphor for life. 
As Paul says in verse 6, notice again, the point is this. What, who, wh- whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, or whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Or as Peterson has it in the message, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. And a lavish planter gets a lavish crop. You understand this? And so uh, they didn't have great big machinery like we have on farms today. In ancient times, they did what they called sowing seed. They they, They prepared the ground and plowed it out, and then they, they would carry a bag full of seed, and then they would, they would sow the seed, they would cast the seed. <laughs> and, and you would get the sort of harvest or crop, depending on how you handled the seed. Can you imagine what the field would look like if you took one little seed, and, but you're keeping most of the seed for yourself because it's so precious. I don't, want to, I don't want to waste it in the field. <laughs> because if I throw it, I, I'm throwing it away. I don't have it anymore. And so whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. You never lose when you give. <laughs> in fact, Jesus said, don't, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust corrupt where thieves break in and steal. Build up your treasures in heaven. Those are things that you can never lose. Remember, you bring nothing into this world, you take nothing out. But the seed that you've cast, God says, that registered with me. In fact, Jesus uh, just was reading this last week. I'm in 2 Kings and I'm in Luke. I'll start Revelation soon. And I'm finishing up the Psalms, but in Luke chapter 6, I just read it this last week, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Again, it's it's an agrarian reference. If you're going to buy grain, they would put it in 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 a container and measure it and then give it to you. Because they're going to keep the container, they're going to use it again. But as you know, is something like a, a commodity like a, a wheat, uh, uh, kernels, and, and so on. Uh, so, the, the, so the container is filled, Jesus says, and then they shake it. And then they press it down. So why? So they can get more in. And then they'll pour it into your container. In some instances, they would t- take their outer garment and use it. And here, pour it in here, and I'll carry it home like this. <laughs> Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And it will be put into your lap. And then he says, for with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If you're generous... God is generous with you. I mean, it really is sort of, and I've said, mentioned this before, you know, if you're trying, well, Lord, I'm going to increase the proportion of my giving. I want to suffer for you, Lord, to make a sacrifice. And he never lets you do it. And every one of you that is a faithful, proportional, sacrificial giver, you know it. There's an old gospel song, you can't outgive God or you can't beat God giving, I think is the actual phrase. No matter how you try, I think that's the other phrase, right? 
You can't beat God giving, no matter how you try. Have you ever heard that one? Yeah, those, that was written by somebody who knows that's true. Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over and put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you again. And of course, that might seem uh, still uh, a contradiction to some, that the more you give, the more you get. But it's often true in life, and it's certainly true with God. In fact, in Proverbs 11 and verse 24, we read this, and it addresses what might seem to be a clear contradiction. Proverbs 11 and verse 24, one gives freely, <laughs> and yet grows all the richer, while another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. And so that's the harvest principle. And then Paul says that generosity doesn't just happen by chance. It doesn't. Like most things in your life, it doesn't just happen by chance. It's not a part of the default setting. And probably your fallen fault setting, default setting probably tells you to hold on to things. Don't freely give. If you do give, give in a very controlled manner. Notice the, notice the, language, the descriptive language. It's not controlled. It's free. Indeed, generosity is a choice. <laughs> it doesn't happen automatically. And so Paul writes, verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And each one must be decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so Paul says that generosity doesn't just happen by chance. Generosity is a choice. Indeed, it's a choice of the heart. It's a spiritual commitment, and it becomes a spiritual discipline if you keep it up. And you grow thereby, just like if you keep on going the, to the gym past February after you've made a New Year's resolution. It's a choice. A choice of the heart, a choice made, Paul says, not reluctantly. A reluctant heart's like, ooh, honey, did we do the right thing? That's reluctance. <laughs> you ever give that way? Given church, you know, well, you didn't want to look, you didn't want to, you didn't want it to appear to be stingy, and so you came up with something, you're kind of looking around, looking the plate, oh, I see, okay, here's, well, I'll, I can, it's like playing cards, well, I can match that, you know but you wish you hadn't had to. <laughs> it's a choice not made reluctantly with half a heart, but wholeheartedly. And not as a result of external pressure, but with joy. Because as Paul says, God, notice this, God loves a cheerful giver. Well, you ever wonder why? Why does God love a cheerful giver? Well, because he understands that person. You think God gives begrudgingly? Oh, well, you know, I'm trying to keep it all up here to myself. No, he pours, rains down. Every good, every blessing comes from above, you know, from the Father of lights. Without measure is another expression of uncontrolled. My cup runs over. 
David said. And the God who makes our cup run over invites us to act in the same way. As Peterson puts it in the message, for God loves it when the giver delights in giving. <laughs> and so generosity doesn't just happen. Indeed, generosity is a choice. And then finally, Paul says that God works generously in the life of those who give generously. It is really a God thing. Notice again, beginning at verse 7, chapter 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly, but under or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then we have God's promise to the generous giver. Verse 8, for God is able to make all grace abound or overflow to you. So that having all sufficiency, that is having everything that you need and more supplied to you by God. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That is to say, you may carry on being generous. In fact, what he's saying is, is if you want to be generous, go ahead and act on it, and I will have your back. Your needs will not go unmet because you have decided to put me as God said through Malachi, to put me to the test. <laughs> and verse 9 is a quotation from Psalm 112, where we read, and he, that is, because the whole chapter is, or the whole psalm, is a description of the, of the man who fears the Lord, or the woman who fears the Lord. Th that is another way of saying the wise person according to God's standard. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. He, that is the man who fears God, has distributed freely. He's given to the poor, as Peterson has it in the message. The man who fears God throws caution to the wind, giving to the poor with reckless abandon. Paul says in verse 9, and his righteousness, that it, uh, of which generosity is a part of his righteousness, endures forever. And Paul continues in verse 10, and God who supplies seed to the sower. Indeed, where's the seed come from? Did you make that in your garage? <laughs> God gives us that. And the bread that comes from the, from the, from the, 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 the wheat that grows as a result of this seed sown. And God who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And increase your harvest of righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way. What? It's right there in the text. To be generous. In every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That last phrase, what he's saying is, is that you're going to be giving this money to us and we're going to be taking it to the, to the believers in Jerusalem who are under great stress. 
And so when we deliver it, they're going to say, thank you, Lord. And thank you for the Corinthians. And thank you for the people of Holy Cross. When you think about that, all the money that goes out of here, and then you also, you give to the church for the, for the furtherance of the gospel, and then you give to all the various different organizations. And that money goes and helps them and provides for them the things that they need and provides an opportunity for them to say, thank you, Lord, for supplying this money through these people so that, so that we're okay. And that's what Paul is talking about. Churchill famously said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give away. That's a great way to put it. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give away. Of course, not everyone believes that, but still it's true. Just are the words of Jesus, who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Indeed, ultimately what he's saying is, is the blessing doesn't lie in the getting, but the true lasting blessing lies in the giving. It's interesting to note that in our culture, we celebrate the rich. But in the New Testament, Jesus warns the rich. He doesn't celebrate them. And still some celebrated by the culture, our culture, understand that Jesus was perhaps onto something. In fact, it was the actor and comedian Jim Carrey who famously said, I think everyone should get rich and become famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can discover that it's not the answer. Let me read that again. I think everyone should get rich and be famous just like he is and do everything they ever dreamed of just like he has so that they can discover that it's not the answer. Our C.S. Lewis wrote in his famous book, Mere Christianity, echoing the words of Jesus, he wrote, one of the dangers of having a lot of money, and by the way, everyone seated here by a world standard is rich. There may be variation between some of us, you know, but as all of us are compared to the rest of the world, we're all rich. 96% of the world's population, 96% of the world's population doesn't own a car. And so when the, what we would think of as the least rich amongst us, drives down the road in his hoopty, the rest of the world says, rich. One of the dangers Lois says, one of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you may be quite satisfied with the kind of happiness money can buy and so fail to realize your need of God. <laughs> and so how about you? The scriptures say that God loves a cheerful giver and no one is more cheerful, cheerful than a generous giver. And that's because generosity matters. Indeed, who wants to waste his or her time doing things that don't? Amen?
giving that matters because it's generous. Let us pray. You're generous, Lord. <laughs> and you're happy. Indeed, in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand are pleasures forevermore, the psalmist said. And then you say, and be imitators of me. As Jesus said, and love your enemies and do good to those who hurt you and Pray for those who persecute you. Be like your heavenly Father because He is good to the good and the wicked alike and He causes the rain to fall on them. And so we're called to be like you. And one of the things you are most definitely, even though oftentimes it goes completely unrecognized, is that you're generous. Make us generous, Lord. Not that we might be put into pain, but that we might be relieved and find that all of your promises, including these ones, are true. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.